So the question is, Mr. Isaac, is today's show going to be shocking, like the title says? You know, I think it's going to be pretty damn shocking. I do. Because uh, I think we're going to show some moments here that uh, people are going to be like, oh, my God, when did that happen? I don't remember that. Especially younger fans. Oh, yeah. As always, though, we like to educate here on the show, right? That's what we do. We're a history-heavy podcast here, which I love because I have a degree in history. So that's what we do. That's what we do best, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, obviously today's show is wrestling's most shocking moments of the 2000s. So this is anything from the 2000s onwards. We've put together a nice little list, and as Mr. Isaac says here, there's some shocking ones, right? It'll be very interesting to cover some of these topics. Um, some of these topics I don't think we've ever discussed on the program, so I'm pretty excited. Absolutely. But first, as always, intern, roll the intro. This is, of course, September the 23rd, episode 107 of The Magic of Wrestling. I am, of course, one half of the host, Liam Wakelin. And I am the effing expert of the All Effing Wrestling Network. I am Mr. Isaacs. Of course, Mr. Isaacs, how's the week been? I know, obviously, we, we do this every time on the show. Obviously, nice little catch-up. Oh, man. It has been very, very busy for me. As always, I know I sound like a broken record, but I've been busy as all hell the past few weeks trying to get adjusted to living in a new place. Um, I've got the kids with me again this weekend. They have both uh, given me at least a verbal commitment that they're not going to interfere with today's show, but <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's been very busy. I've got the University of Kentucky football game going on right in front of me on my big screen. And uh, sitting down talking with my British pal about uh, controversy and wrestling. So it, it's been a good week. Absolutely. And of course, for me, it's been a mixed feeling week. Obviously, I've had obviously a lot going off personal stuff. I've had, I just want to say that somebody's kind of messaged me out, out of the blue and it kind of took me off guard a little bit. <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes people you know are good about that. You care to elaborate any at all or uh, do we need to? Uh, yeah, absolutely. no, we, we can elaborate. So this week, after so many years, an ex decided to obviously text me out of the blue. So it kind of took me off guard a little bit. And I just didn't know what to expect. So it's kind of been playing on my mind a little bit. But you know what? I know these things happen. It's life, unfortunately. But I was I was polite. I was civil. I wasn't being an ass. I'm just going to say that. But you know what? Enough about me. Let's um, we got anybody in the house. I'm sure we've got somebody in the comments. Well, we got Joe Graham here. Joe Graham Jr., in fact. <laughs> Good afternoon, evening. That's weird. I never actually realized it says Junior. I never noticed that either. Controversy from wrestling that isn't AEW. <laughs> I don't actually think there's... Is there actually any AEW on the list? I, I did not include any AEW on our list. Um, and I don't think you did either. I, I thought about it, but then I was like... And we could talk about that. Um the reason why I didn't include any AEW is because the things that I would have considered shocking from AEW 
our stuff that mm-hmm. was kind of spoiled by the dirt sheets anyways. You know, like and also, uh, yeah. showing up, you know, like yeah. it's stuff that we all kind of thought would happen. It's not something that just out of nowhere happened. And we're like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And plus, obviously, we're doing a big CM Punk episode next week anyway. So that will be the sole focus. But yeah, right. enough <laughs> rambling on. Let's get into part one. Let's get into some news, shall we? Let's get into our part one. We call the Magic Weekly. Now, I've got to be honest, there's been a lot going off this week, and some of this really surprised me. Now, the first thing, of course, was WWE's released some more wrestlers. I didn't see this coming. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, after the Endeavor takeover, I was pretty certain that they're going to want to trim the fat a little bit. Um, and we're starting to see that. Yeah, we, we saw quite a few. I, di- I didn't see the total number. I didn't count them, but... Uh, there were quite a few names released from uh, NXT and from the main roster this week. Is there any names on that list which obviously surprised you, or is it just not surprising with the names, really? Um, I guess the one that kind of surprised me a little bit, honestly, was Dolph Ziggler. Like, that one kind of surprised me. Um, it probably shouldn't, because I, I know that he's kind of been talking about wrapping up his wrestling career anyways. Um, and I'm sure he probably commanded a high salary where he's been there for so long. But I yeah, I, I just didn't expect him to be the one of the ones to get let go, though. I kind of thought he was going to be there until he decided to walk away and retire. But, uh, yeah, I, I found that one to be interesting. Most of the others, I mean, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I mean, Shelton Benjamin, I haven't seen him in ages. You know, the NXT talents, most of them, I, with all due respect, I'd never heard of most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't surprised by Riddle. Honestly, I think that was probably the highest profile name on the list. Um, but he's been in a lot of trouble here lately. <laughs> he can't seem to keep his nose out of trouble. And, uh, you know, I don't think the Endeavor folks are too uh, high on him anyways, uh, mm-hmm. because him and Dana White hate each other. <laughs> so that one really didn't surprise me. Well, that's the thing. Obviously, I read that some, I don't actually know, obviously, what went up. Something to do we incident at the airport. I don't know obviously the details about that, but apparently there's a lot more behind the scenes. So yeah, the Riddle one didn't surprise me. The Dolph Ziggler one for me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, do you think it's mainly WWE not booking him correctly? Uh, I mean, look, Dolph has been there forever, and he's done a little bit of everything. And, and I think it just got to the point to where he just wasn't being booked for anything because it's like, well, what do we do with him? I mean, they kind of used him as a, a guy to build up younger talent for several years, which he did an amazing job doing so. And uh, he always put on great matches in the ring. Um, but yeah, it just got to the point to where he was just kind of like a uh, a builder. You know, he was just a guy that would just pop in once in a while to uh, to to work an angle with a younger talent, build him up. The last thing I even really remember him doing was um, I, I guess it was last year. I don't think it was this year when he worked a little feud in NXT uh, where he was the, uh, didn't he win the NXT title and he was like wrestling Braun Breaker? Yeah. <laughs> like he had great. a pretty good match. Yeah. Um, and again, it was just a way to kind of build up a younger talent, a young green Braun Breaker uh, with the crafty veteran Dolph Ziggler. And, uh, you know, he did an amazing job at that. That was kind of his role the past few years. So, 
You know, I, I think he just kind of uh, did everything he set out to do. They weren't going to make him world champion ever again. Uh, he does stand-up comedy gigs on the side. I think he was just wanting to wind down, and uh, they probably, uh, it might have even been a mutual decision. Who knows? Yeah, the, the three names, obviously, I want to mention, and obviously, I want to get your thoughts on what's next for him. So, what do you think's next for Dolph? Do you think he's going to retire, or do you think it'd be indie scene, or do you think AEW? <sighs> Honestly, with Dolph, I think he's probably just going to retire. Um, I mean, he's made a he's made a truckload of money in Dota He's been there forever. I'm I think he's pretty financially smart. Um, so I, I don't think he's going to be in any peril. I mean, he does this. Uh, you know, he does stand up comedy. He likes to do that. Uh, he'll dabble in that. But ultimately, I think he'll probably at least semi retire. I mean, if he does anything, maybe he'll pop up for an indie once in a blue moon. Um, but I, I think he's probably going to wind down and this is pretty much going to be the end for him. Okay. What about Elias? Cause this is one which really, again, I, I feel like it's in the same boat as the Dolph. Yeah. I mean, Elias is somebody that, um, I, I don't think we really saw his peak to be honest with you. I mean, he's an entertaining guy. You know, he had the, uh, the album that he put out that uh, ended up being number one on Apple music or whatever. <laughs> That, that little shit, shitty uh, indie rock album that he put out. Um, you know, he's a very charismatic guy, and he is talented. He can work. He's good in the ring. He's got a great physique. Um, honestly, if I were Tony Khan, Elias would be the one out of all this all th- this list that I would probably go for. Because, I mean, you could put him on TV and do something with him and make him entertaining. Um, because he's very charismatic. He's very talented. He's over. I think if he came out with the guitar gimmick in AEW, I think he could do something with that. Oh, absolutely. And the other one, which was Emma, obviously we may know as Tennille Dashwood. For some reason, I thought going back to Impact straight away. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's probably what's best for her. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think she'll probably go back to Impact. Um, Maybe even Moss will go with her. (laughs) Because, I mean, they're uh, I I believe they're married now, if I'm not mistaken. so yeah, we might see Moss and uh, Dashwood uh, go to Impact. I I think that's probably the most logical place for the two of them. Yeah. One final thing, obviously, on this little topic here. Do you think there's more releases to come, or do you think that's it for now? I absolutely think there's going to be more. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you don't spend that much money to buy a company and then not trim the fat because you want to maximize your profit. Um, you know, I'm, I was kind of surprised that uh, Top Dollar got released, but uh, the other two um, in uh, Hit Row are still there. I kind of don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're probably going to go, too. Um, it is interesting that one came before the others, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think any of that crew is sticking around. I think there's going to be more cuts. I'm not sure it's going to be anybody that's uh, that you see on TV quite often. Um, I think it's going to be mostly people that don't get booked very often, but I do think more cuts are coming. Yeah, I think obviously we, we've seen it before. Obviously, what soon as some cuts come, it's just like so many more come after. So, next up, obviously, we'll talk about AW Wrestle Dream. Now, apparently, this is expected to be the lowest pay per view crowd in years because apparently the ticket sales are flat. I've seen the matches though, it, they kind of look really interesting. So, what's going wrong here? <sighs> Where is Wrestle Dream at? Like, do we uh, know the location? It is in Seattle. Hmm. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think of Seattle when I think of hot wrestling towns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe it's just an issue of location. But, I mean, they can't run Vegas and Chicago and Jacksonville, you know, every event of the year. Um, there's going to be some that just don't sell very well. And, and I kind of wonder if, uh, you know, the post-punk era of uh, AEW is going to have a little trouble drawing for a little while until they kind of reestablish uh, their foothold here in, uh, in the, the eyes of internet wrestling fans. I think that might have hurt their momentum a little bit. I think they'll recover. I think they'll be fine. Um, but I do think that uh, they might have a little bit of a interest hit for a little while. Just my opinion. Yeah, so obviously this is apparently a tribute obviously to the late Antonio Noki, but according to obviously Dave Meltzer, so you can take this as much as you want, the ticket sales apparently are only at 5,005. That's pretty low, really, for an AEW show. Yeah, that is pretty low. Um, and I know they struggle with attendance in certain parts of the country. Um, I know they didn't have much trouble here when they came to Kentucky, but uh, you know, some of the shows you see they go to, I, they're just not—they're not filling the arena. Um, I, I hope that they can get back to that. They do well in the big cities, which uh-huh. that's great. Um, but you have to run the smaller markets some too. And, um, you know, I, I hope they can find a way to draw more fans in. I, I think that, uh, like I said, I, I think they're going to have a little bit of a, a slump here um, that I hope they can recover from pretty quick because we, we, we need them to be a strong, viable second company in order to keep things interesting as a wrestling fan. Oh, for sure. I think that's a nice little thing to say. Wrestling needs competition in any type of world. Obviously, whether it's in the UK, in the US. Yeah, wrestling needs competition. So I kind of love that statement you've just mentioned there. So next up we've got is WWE Files trademark for Jade Cargill's new name. Have you seen it? No. Jada Parker. Okay, I I did see somebody... I think I saw Canada Dry post something about this in the uh, the Facebook group, and apparently it has come out that that name is being given to another NXT talent. Oh, it sounds okay. very similar to Jade Cargill, but <laughs> apparently they're giving that name to somebody else. Oh, okay. That's first I've known about that. Do you know anything more on that? I have not heard anything else, no. I mean, I don't... I, I don't imagine Jade... Is Jade Cargill her real name? Like, I don't even know. Do no we know idea. if that's her real name? I am honestly not sure if I'm being honest. If it's her real name, she'll probably debut in WWE with that. Because if they're going to try to build at all on her star power that she's already built up um, from the wrestling community, they're going to want to call her Jay Cargill instead of just giving her some other name. But but you know how they do things at WWE. They might just uh, you know have the, the little spinning wheel of NXT names and call her like, you know... Jennifer Starlight or some crap like that. <laughs> so to answer your actual question, Jade Cargill is actually a real name. Okay. So since she owns that name, um, she has some cachet with it already. I would say she'll debut as Jade Cargill. Fair point. Fair point. We'll uh, definitely see on that. I'm still a bit surprised she's gone to WWE, but I feel like once you lost the TBS title, you kind of like, well, where does Jed fit in in AEW? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, you can't do that forever. I mean, you can't do the gimmick of I'm the champion and I'm undefeated and this is going to go on forever. I mean, this is the Goldberg syndrome, right? Uh-huh. You can't uh-huh. just 
put a title on somebody, have them be undefeated forever, and then that's just all they do. <laughs> because that's kind of what it was like with Goldberg. You know, after his streak ended, it's like, well, what's left? You know, and he kind of floundered a bit afterwards. Um, and it's like, what do you do at that point? You know, and I don't know if she got frustrated because uh, she was no longer in the spotlight or if, if all along it was planned that she was going to try to go to WWE. Um, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do with her, though. Oh, yeah. This is one definitely to watch for me, and this is one I'm curious to see what's going to happen. But we'll stick with, obviously, with AEW. And, of course, this week, Moxley and a concussion, which cost him the title. I've got to be honest, the whole situation with this really surprised me. Yeah, this looked really, really ugly. <laughs> and, um, you know, the referee, it was Rick Knox, right? The referee. Yep. Um, yeah. What a terrible job <laughs> being a referee here in this match. I mean, I don't know if you remember seeing it, but after that first pile driver and Phoenix went for the pin, you could see Moxley say something to Rick Knox, but uh-huh. Rick, Rick Knox was going to count to two and then stop. And like he stopped and like Moxley didn't have his shoulder up or anything. So then Phoenix just puts him up and does the same route move again and then gets the pan. It was just so it was bizarre. It was amateurish. It looked terrible. Um, Rick Knox should have had a better handle on what was going on there. Um, that was just that, that was poor. That was a bad performance. Yeah, and the thing is, it's funny you mention that because I always refer back to the obviously the Scott Bell interview I did, which is obviously a referee in the UK, and he was very, very critical of those of the referee. And in, it's exactly what you've just mentioned there. It's like you know a placement, you know where the referees are. So you're kind of on point there. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I don't know a ton about being a referee or anything, but you know, I've I've heard podcasts with people that have been referees in the wrestling business, and they tell you you're the guy that's supposed to drive the match. Like you're the one who's supposed to like time it out. You're the one that's supposed to tell them to go home, which means to finish the match. And you're also the one who's supposed to be the key person in the ring that calls audibles whenever somebody's hurt or when something desperately needs to be changed. And Rick Knox should have done that here. I I just, I, I, I don't think that uh, he handled this very well, to be honest. Yeah, do you think obviously the referees in AEW? I don't want to say like sound critical, but do you feel like they could do a little bit better in certain like situations? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the referees in AEW are way too passive. I mean, they just are. Um, when you watch WWE matches, they they don't make their referees known very often, like AEW does. Um, a lot of times, you won't even know the name of the referee in the ring. But you can just tell that they have more of a command on what's happening in the ring because that's uh-huh. their job. That's what they're supposed to do. I feel like in AEW, they're playing characters. <laughs> like they, they want to be a character in the ring along with the wrestlers. And it just, it they're a lot more passive and they're just not contributing as much as they should to the match itself, to the mechanics of the match. And, um, you know, I, I, people used to get mad at Jim Ross all the time. Because he, he'd be like, what the hell, ref? Get in there and see what's going on. Because, like, the refs wouldn't enforce the rules, you know, the kayfabe rules, which is a big part of the referee's responsibility, is regardless of what happens in the ring, you have a kayfabe list of rules 
and you are supposed to enforce those rules, period. Mm-hmm. And the referee would just sit back in the corner and watch people come in without tags, and it's just kind of anarchy for a while. Yeah, the thing is with referees, they're there obviously not just to make an account that they're for obviously safety and stuff like that. So they've, and I understand they've got a lot of stuff, but come on, man, get it together. Let's be honest. They need to get somebody like a Earl Hebner in there to kind of like put all these referees in a room and just be like, look, you know, you guys need to start doing this, start doing X, Y, and Z. You know, or, or Mike Kyoto or someone like that. Someone who's like a very experienced ref who's done like very high level matches and be like, look, I was in the ring when, you know, Austin got his neck broke in a match with Owen Hart. This is what uh-huh. you need to do or you're going to cause these guys to get killed. Um, I think they kind of need that come to Jesus meeting a little bit with some of their officiating. I think the other one as well is obviously is Mike Kyoto. I think he's obviously respected as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hebner, Mike Kyoto. I mean, hell, even dig up someone like Nick Patrick. <laughs> just <laughs> anyone who's been doing this for a long time. Um, have them come in and just, if nothing else, to consult with the current batch of referees. I think that would do them some good. Oh, for sure. I think yeah, I agree there totally. So, one more, obviously, thing to wrap up the Magic Weekly. A huge match was obviously set for SmackDown yesterday, which was. AJ Styles and John Cena teaming up with Jimmy, Uso, and Solo Sokoa. The reason I bring this up in particular is because you mentioned, obviously, I think it was last week about, you know, bringing the big names in. Is this like a prime example? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if Roman Reigns isn't going to be there, um, they need star power. And mm-hmm. John Cena gives them that. So I would expect between that and the Writers Guild strike, kind of uh, interfering with any of his Hollywood aspirations. I would expect we'll see John Cena for a little while, maybe even for the rest of the year. What about The Rock? Uh, Yeah, I definitely think we're going to see more of The Rock. Um, I think we'll see more of him. I mean, hell, we might even see him at Survivor Series, depending on how long the strike goes. Yeah, we shall definitely see on that one. So that wraps up, obviously, the Magic Weekly. So... We've got everything out of the way. Should we get into the main event? Let's do it, brother. The main event. Now, we've established this now, by the way. It's not a coin. It's a quarter. Or a a token. token. (laughs) It's a token, right? Is that what it is? Something like that. So before we obviously talk about obviously the t- most shocking moments, we're going to say thank you to not one, but two sponsors. So first off, FTW Wrestling. This is obviously the training school of the two other friends of the show, Brian Idol and Natalia Markova. Now, I do believe it's $250 a month to basically learn to be a wrestler, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a steal. You know, that, that's a very good deal uh, for people that have actually been on televised wrestling products to teach you how to be a professional wrestler. I I think that's a hell of a deal. And uh, I think if you live in Florida and you've got aspirations to enter the professional wrestling business, I think this is the place you should go. Absolutely. So we've got a little clip to show you, and this gives you a little little idea. So here we go. Determination. Perseverance. These are the qualities that make a champion. Do you have what it takes to be the next wrestling superstar? Are you ready? to turn your dreams into a reality. 
at Fight the World Wrestling's World Wrestling Academy, we can help you become the champion you were meant to be. Our world travel trainers, Brian Idol and Natalia Markova, are well-known industry professionals with years of experience in the world of wrestling. From the basics to advanced techniques, they are dedicated to help give you the tools that you need to succeed in the ring. Our training program is tailored to challenge you, push you to your limits, and help you discover your full potential. Come join our diverse group of talent. Join us at Fight the World Wrestling's World Wrestling Academy and make your dream a reality. Visit our website or contact us to learn more and start your journey to the top today. So I said this to Canada Dry yesterday. What do you think the basics are? The basics have got to be the things like a collar elbow tie-up, snapmare, mm-hmm. running the ropes, flat back bump. I mean, that's got to be the basics, right? Yeah, we said something like, you know, taking bumps and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, when I think of the basics, I think about those general moves like that. Yeah. Now, the next, obviously, sponsor, and I'm going to ask you this question. And think I know the answer, but have you seen the Kill City Cup yet? No. have not. <laughs> busy boy, busy boy. So this is obviously I our second sponsor. I sit down and watch it. I'm going to. Um, in fact, I may even try to watch it later today, but I, I need to see this though. I, I saw their interview last Sunday and it just makes me want to see more. Of course. So for people listening, the Kill City Cup is, it's like Mortal Kombat meets WWE. It's so entertaining. I mean, there's some big names in it. Obviously, Natalia Markova, Brian Cage, Matt Seidel. There's another name from NWA who's skipping me, but yeah, it's in the link in the description of the video. They've got a website. Go on YouTube. It's an hour of your time. You will not be disappointed. And again, here's a little video. Welcome to the Kill City Cops. And that's how you end a little promo video. I got the world by the balls. Uh, yeah, it was kind of fun, obviously, as well, to interview Queen Gia, because it was kind of like, what do I ask a queen? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to catch up on that one, too. I, I wasn't able to check that one out. I'm going to have to check it out. Did you call her uh, your highness? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here, so I've, I've done something right. <laughs> uh, dear. Right then, that's everything out of the way. So today we're talking about wrestling's most shocking moments of the 2000s. So what we mean by this is, is anything what's happened from the 2000s up to current day. So we've got 10 talking points as always. Mr. Rises has picked five. I've picked five. And yeah, we're just going to have a nice little discussion about them. Are we ready? Let's go. So this is uh, n- number 10 is obviously one you've obviously picked. So I'll let you obviously talk about this one. Ah, yes. This was, uh, I think it was in 2012, uh, if I'm not mistaken. This was the return 
of Brock Lesnar to the WWE. Um, so this was shocking because nobody knew this was coming. I know the crowd wanted it to come. They were chanting, we want Lesnar at the end of the show. But this was after um, the last Rock and John Cena WrestleMania main event. This was the night after Mania. Uh Cena comes out, wants to call the Rock out because he wants to talk to him one more time. And uh, stands there, says, okay, Rock, I want you to come out now. And holds his hand up kind of awkwardly for about 30 seconds before any kind of music hits. But it wasn't if you smell. That's not what you heard. It was Brock Lesnar's theme, and the crowd popped through the roof. This is where you saw the famous image of the guy who became known as Brock Lesnar guy. Oh, when he goes like like that? <laughs> yeah. This is where you saw Brock Lesnar guy for the first time, and Lesnar came out, came into the ring, stared down Cena, F5'd him, walked away and left, signifying his return to the WWE that is still at least in part going on today, all these years mm-hmm. later. But this was when Brock was hot off of being UFC heavyweight champion just a couple years prior. And uh, so, I mean, he had a whole new level of fame that he didn't have back when he was just a tights-wearing professional wrestler uh, many, many years prior. So, I mean, this was huge. This was a big deal, and this really shook the foundation of wrestling at the time. What Did you, did you see this, or do you have any memories of this? Yeah, the thing is, I didn't actually, obviously I saw Brock Lesnar obviously in his early days, and I often wonder, like, oh, what's Brock up to? And you're right, you were expecting The Rock, and it was kind of awkward, as you mentioned, with the 30 seconds. But as soon as that actual music hit, you, obviously Brock's got a unique music, you're like, oh, okay, let's see where they're going with this. And I always remember, obviously, the guy in the front row where he's like, the Brock Lesnar guy, as you called him. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> simply F5 on the left, what can you say? If you Google Brock Lesnar guy, that guy's image pops up. That's what he's known as online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that <laughs> this was a huge moment. The, the lid just blew off of the place, and the fans wanted him. Like, if you watch the promo, they were chanting very loudly, we want Lesnar, because they thought there was a chance that he was there. But nobody, I don't think anybody really thought he was there. And then when he came out, it just, it was huge. Very, very big moment. So how long was obviously this after the UFC? Because I can't remember exactly what year he was in the UFC. Um, his reign as heavyweight champion ended, it was either 2010 or 2011. So we're talking about a year or two prior to this, um, is when he fought Cain Velasquez and, uh, Velasquez just obliterated him. Um, and then after that, he uh, fought um, Alistair Overeem, which I don't know if you are familiar with him or not. He's this big, jacked-up mm-hmm. Dutch kickboxer who uh, kneed Brock Lesnar in the gut, and he just completely folded up, destroyed him. Um, he left the UFC after that and disappeared for a little while and uh, came back to WWE, which is uh, you know, off and on where he's been ever since. Of course, it's yeah. It's definitely one of those moments which I always look back, and it's probably one I'm. It's definitely I can see why you put this on the list because it's definitely one of the most shocking of the last, like I said, twenty odd years. This next one, really, and this is what happens in real time, and it's of course Jerry Lawler's heart attack. The thing is, this happened during a match, and I, 
when you see things like to ringside, I remember watching the show going, what the hell's going on? And one thing that stuck out with me is obviously Michael Cole throughout the entire show. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not a big, massive Cole fan, but that show in particular, to see that type of thing, I've got nothing but respect for him. Yeah, I mean, he handled this really well. He did. Um, because if you hear the stories afterwards, he talked about how, you know, he, he used the uh, the microphone mute to communicate with backstage. It was like, look, there's something wrong with Jerry. You guys need to get out here, like, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he coordinated calling the match and getting help for Jerry simultaneously. I mean, that's that's special <laughs> to be able to do that and to maintain functionality to where the crowd, the 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 fans watching the show, they can see something's a little off, but he's still presenting the show as it should be presented. This was a scary scene. I remember watching this um, live on Raw, and um, yeah, everybody was just wondering what was going on and uh, hoping that he was okay. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, Lawler wrestled a match earlier that night. He was in a tag match, mm-hmm. and uh, the aforementioned Dolph Ziggler did that move where he uh, just rapidly drops elbow drops on his chest, and uh, you know, he he thinks that's what stimulated. Um, his chest to create the heart attack. Um, so yeah, and and he obviously never wrestled for WWE after that. I think he worked a few indies here and there afterwards. But uh, yeah, very very scary moment live on television. This is the thing though, right? And this is one thing a lot of fans obviously not realize is even though it's live, stuff like this can happen. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly somebody can take ill and something like that, and. I just love the fact that how the whole situation was handled, you know what I mean? He didn't, obviously, if I remember rightly, he didn't do much commentary for the rest of the night in mark of respect. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, obviously, it, it's hard to maintain composure when something like that happens on live mm-hmm. TV when you're in front of millions of people like that. But um, Michael Cole did it. And I mean, whatever criticism someone has of Michael Cole, he is a professional. Um and and a situation like this, he's the best person in this entire business that can handle something like that. And I I just think that uh I hats off to him. Like I, I gained a lot of respect for him after that. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing I'm obviously proud of is obviously Jerry was obviously fine fit after this. He's still I don't know what is his health condition like at the moment. I've read little things. Well, he had a stroke. Um, a couple months back, and uh, you know, I think he's doing okay now, but uh, he's not, he's not gonna be able to do anything wrestling wise ever again. Um, I highly doubt he'll ever do commentary again because when you have a stroke, it it impacts your ability to talk a lot of times. So I, I like when he came out, he always makes an appearance when WWE goes to Memphis, Tennessee, and mm-hmm. um, you know, this past time he came out and all he did was wave. You know, and he used to come out and cut promos every time they were in Memphis. But, you know, it, when you can't fully regain your your acumen of uh, speech, um, it was kind of sad that all he did was come out and wave. But So, I mean, that shows you that he's not fully recovered from this. So I don't imagine we'll ever see him back in commentary again. But the, the one thing I've always said, health is more important than anything. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. And and hopefully he stays healthy and uh 
you know, doesn't overdo it. I know he's, he loves the business dearly and always wants to be involved in it, but, uh, there's a time where you just got to take your crown and go home. And I think this is, uh, apropos for him. Of course. Next up is obviously one. I actually remember this really, really well. And I'll let you talk about this one. Yeah. AJ Styles debut at the Royal Rumble. This to me was completely unexpected. Um, the dirt sheets weren't talking about this. Nobody thought AJ Styles was showing up at the Royal Rumble. And that's the reason why I chose it to be on this list. And this was huge. And um, I remember seeing interviews with AJ Styles where he was really scared that like nobody would even know who he was because he just wrestled in TNA. And then he uh, had kind of a career resurgence afterwards and went to Ring of Honor, was the heavyweight champion there. And then, he, of course, he was the IWGP champion in New Japan. And um, But he thought that nobody here was uh, going to know who he was. And when he debuted at the Royal Rumble, the crowd popped huge. And uh, they were fully behind him the whole rest of the night. And it was just a magical moment. And I think that's probably the probably the best moment of AJ Styles' career, I would assume. Um, but yeah, th- this was a very shocking moment. I wasn't expecting him to be there. I don't think anybody else was either. And when that music hit and then the, the letters AJ Styles just came on the screen, it's like the roof blew off the place. Everybody knew who he was. It was just one of those magical moments. I loved it. Yeah, the thing is, I was I followed AJ obviously in TNA because I was watching a lot of t- at TNA stuff at the time. And you're right. I always remember Roman's reaction when his like music hit. Because even I'm like, okay, because we know the Royal Rumble, you're going to get debuts, you're going to get like people returning, and exactly what you've just said there. As soon as you saw that AJ Styles thing, you're like. Oh, and I always remember Michael Cole's thing saying the hardest free agent or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was a great moment. And I think they even recognized him as a former IWGP champion, um, which which was cool. I mean, I, I thought it was a great moment. It was shocking. Nobody expected it. So I, I thought it was worthy of going on the list. Can you just show that comment from Joseph Graham? Not that one. Liam sounds American. I don't know if it's because I'm Japanese. It very well could be. He's definitely not American. WWE did a horrible job on his debut recording it. Okay. I mean, I can't see why. I don't remember much on that. I don't know. What what do you mean by that, Joe Graham? I'm curious. I mean, you you can come on the show and obviously discuss that if you want. (laughs) Yeah. You're more than welcome to, pal. Come on in here. We'll talk about it. Yeah, so the thing is, obviously, AJ Style, he's obviously done so many good things in like WWE, but I feel like over the past two or three years, he's kind of been left to wayside. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's a guy who, I mean, he's in his 40s now, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. He's just kind of seen it all, done it all at this point. He's been the champion, he's been at the top, and and I think at this point, he's just doing whatever they ask him to do. You know, I mean, obviously, if he's teaming with Cena and going against the uh, the bloodline here, that's, you know, kind of putting him back up to main event level, at least for the moment. Um, but the guy's done everything. You know, I, I don't think there's much left for him to do other than just put on good matches and elevate younger talent at this point. Yeah, I think that's a nice little fair thing. So we'll move along. But, Joe, you're more than welcome to come in and discuss the AJ one because I'm kind of curious to see where you meant by that. But next up. Are you ready for this one? Because this is one which a lot of people might not know, but it upsets a lot of people. And it's, of course... (laughs) 
Uh, Katie Vick. T- tell us what you think about Katie Vick. This segment overall, when I remember watching it, it was, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> this is probably one of the most segments which left a bitter taste in my mouth. And I feel like <laughs> Triple H, just in, I mean, I think that's probably my reaction as well. That one, by the way, not that one. <laughs> I mean, what do you remember about this one? Honestly, as a young man with a dark sense of humor, I thought this was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So, for those of you who don't remember, I believe that, um, you know, it came out that like Katie Vick was the fictional girlfriend of uh, Kane and, and she like died or something like that and he killed her or something. I don't remember the full story. It was stupid, whatever it was. But, uh, yeah, Triple H did this segment where he pretends to be Kane and goes to her funeral. Right, I can't so, even say anything that he did because they would get us kicked off of YouTube, probably. Of course. Right, so I don't mean to interrupt, but obviously Joseph Graham is obviously on standby. Mr. Graham, man, hello there. Holding Graham, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much. How are you guys doing? Good, I'm man. very well, mate. Sorry, so I want to obviously get your opinion on that comment with this, uh, AJ Styles. Go ahead. So my my issue was they focused way too much on Roman Reigns. Like yeah. that that moment should have been all about AJ Styles. I don't really care about the how Roman Reigns is looking at music he doesn't recognize because like it took forever for the fans watching it. I mean the people in the st- in the st- stadium knew that it was AJ Styles, but they didn't show us the Titantron. They didn't sh- like it. Was, they did a very poor job of building up the anticipation for AJ Styles in the moment. That's my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was at the time where everything was the Roman Reigns show, and everything was yeah, like I know. built around. I mean, it still is. So yeah, yeah, it was like everything was like, hey, yeah, yeah, we got these other guys, but we got Roman Reigns here. Look at him, you know, like he yeah. was the focal point of everything, especially during this time when they were trying to make him the baby face that nobody wanted. It's funny you mentioned that because when you said the Roman Reigns thing, that's the first thing I remember about this actual segment is his face going. Okay, it was this, this music, so I kind of agree with obviously Golden Graham. Uh, yeah, and I will admit, I find it, I mean, obviously I'm a fan of all wrestling, not just WWE, but for AJ Styles to think that nobody in WWE is going to know who he is, I find a little ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> like, he, said that. He, he said that he thought that nobody would know who he yep. was and he wouldn't get a reaction. <laughs> yeah. Okay. While you're here, obviously, Josie Crane, do you want to talk about the Katie Vick one we just talked about? Yeah, what uh, do you think of Katie Vick? That was horrible. I'll be honest. I didn't really watch WWE around this time. Like, I, I'm known to take like breaks from it because it, I get burnt out on it. But it was bad. <laughs> I don't know if it was designed to be bad, but like to sit there and make Triple H like necrophilia, I don't think is really a good book for the WWE. So. <laughs> uh... <laughs> We can't obviously describe what goes off, so all I suggest is for people is just go and search it for yourselves because we can't. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to give poor Canada a dry heart attack thinking he's going to get his channel kicked off or anything. But yeah. uh, you can look it up if you really want to know the finer details of it. But. Look, necrophilia won't get us demonetized. If you know what that is, that's all you need to know about this angle. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and we just uh, used a clinical term there, YouTube. We didn't describe anything in detail, so... Exactly. 
dear. Right then, Golden Great. Thanks you for clarifying all that. Talk to you all later. Mr. Isaac, I'll see you tonight. See you tonight, my man. Can we just move along, please? Because I'm still laughing. Please do, Let's move along. This is obviously one you picked. Yeah. The infamous moment on the very final WCW Monday Nitro where Shane McMahon walks out onto a WCW program and has that famous moment where he gets in the ring. Wow. The contract to purchase WCW, it says McMahon, but it's Shane McMahon. And uh, kicks off this whole invasion angle. But it was just the surreal moment of the Monday Night War coming to a, an end right here. I mean, this this was the end. This was the absolute dead end of the Monday Night War with a McMahon coming out on Monday Nitro and the show ending with a McMahon and a WCW ring. It was just absolutely surreal. And it wasn't expected. We knew going into the show that WWE had, had acquired WCW, had purchased it. But uh-huh. the fact that Shane McMahon came out and had this little simulcast with Nitro and Raw connected to each other on opposite television programs, it was just surreal to see. It, it was it was just uh, it, it was one of those moments that's just never going to be replicated. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is with that is because we know how big obviously the Monday Night Wars was. So to see obviously your competition. On Nitro, it was, and if I obviously I remember the segment really, really well. How I don't remember where they went after this. Obviously, was that the invasion angle type thing? But the, I imagine there was a big gap between that. Yeah, I mean there was a little bit of a gap. This was actually WrestleMania week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this was the week leading up to WrestleMania. Um, uh, the WWE had just made a last second deal to purchase WCW, and I remember uh, during that WrestleMania. Um, I think it was 17. They actually had WCW wrestlers sitting in a skybox and they showed them with the marquee WCW wrestlers. And I was like, man, this is so weird. It's so weird. And I see Joe Graham here says that it was a missed opportunity. Yes, it was. Because the WWE didn't want to pony up the money to fully acquire the talents of the big guys. They wanted them to take buyouts for like a lesser rate like 70 cents on the dollar or whatever. So that took out like Sting, Goldberg, you know, all the like super heavy hitters um, at the time. So when they do this invasion angle and and they're bringing in guys like Billy Kidman and, and, you know, Hugh Morris and, you know, Booker T was like the biggest name on the WCW side. It just, it just didn't resonate. They needed Goldberg. They needed Sting. You know, they needed like Hall and Nash, which they got later, but they didn't have for the invasion. And it just fell flat. But this particular moment, this instance, was a very shocking moment. And it's something that, as a wrestling fan, I'm going to remember the rest of my life. Yeah, the thing is with the invasion angle is, like you just mentioned there, there was no big names. Obviously, when the ECW thing, obviously the, the, the big names were there, but... With the WCW side, you didn't have, as you mentioned there, you didn't have Hall, you didn't have Nash, you didn't have Goldberg. So it was kind of difficult to try and get invested into it. This segment overall was a great starter, but it just kind of just went fell flat from there. Yeah, and I mean, as a fan, I was so excited because, 
you know, I honestly thought that like that WCW was going to continue as a brand because that was the original idea, at least the idea that had been floated around. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of course, we all know that that wasn't the case. And it was weird, too, because like Nitro did like a special spring break episode every year mm-hmm. where they would go to Panama City Beach, Florida. So like they were literally on a beach <laughs> at a wrestling ring set up on the beach. And Shay McMahon came out. It was just, it was just so weird. Just one of those weird things you're never going to see again. Oh, for sure, definitely. So this next one's obviously number oh, five. TDP. I'm sorry, just to go into Joe Graham's comment here. Yeah, I hated, hated what they did to DDP when they brought him over, and he was the stalker who was stalking Undertaker's wife. Like DDP should have. I mean, he was like the Rock in WCW. <laughs> like he should have came in as a badass babyface. Do you want me to be honest? I yeah. kind of love that segment. I kind of liked it. I will be honest. Oh, you like DDP being the uh, the stalker of Sarah? I mean, the storyline as a whole. I didn't obviously agree with the stalker bit, but the storyline really got me invested because I always remember King of the Ring where I think they kind of played mind games where they were recording DDP and Taker just comes out in the middle of a pay-per-view and just basically beats the shit out of him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, DDP made it work, but, you know, I just... I like the old school, you know, self high five, you know, flash the diamond, diamond cutter DDP. Like he was great as that role. And I, I would have liked to have seen that version of DDP in, in WWE. I kind of hated the one after this, which was like where he's always smiling about stuff. Oh God, that was awful. That was just awful. I mean, practically everything he did past that point was just completely forgettable. Definitely, definitely. This next one obviously was, I think it was 2002, and I remember watching this, which was Stone Cold throws Triple H off a forklift. <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, this is when I first obviously got into wrestling, so I didn't understand it, and I'm literally, I'm like, why eyes wide open, going, what the hell have they done? But that feud overall for me really, I think, made it for that year. <laughs> Yeah, they always had these these goofy things where, like, you know, someone would run over somebody in a monster truck and an ambulance. And, you know, I mean, there was always weird little, like, attempted vehicular homicides that went on at WWE television that for some reason just never got prosecuted. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it was really goofy, but it was just it, that was the times, you know, it was kind of a dark humor era, kind of like the Katie Vick thing. It was a dark humor era of WWE. I loved it personally. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, the reason obviously I picked it is because obviously it was when I was obviously starting to watch wrestling, and it was probably <laughs> the first moment I thought of. So I'm like, this is where we're including it. And yeah, it's thinking about it now, it is kind of funny, but back then it was really, really shocking. Yeah, I mean, it, it is shocking to see stuff like this happen, but uh, and it was the one thing that everybody would talk about. They they wouldn't talk about. You know, so-and-so had a good match with so-and-so. They would talk about, hey, did you see the time that Austin almost killed Triple H? <laughs> uh, definitely. It this next one... For that time, it worked. Oh, it definitely did. Now, this next one is obviously, for me, is one of the biggest, and I am so glad you obviously picked this. And, of course, it is, of course... The Broken the streak. streak. Now, we talked about this kind of at length during the uh, the Undertaker highs and lows, so I won't rehash this too much, but when you talk about institutions in the WWE over the past three decades, 
Um, your 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 list of five items has to have the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it just has to, and nobody expected that to end as abruptly as it did. I, I remember, you know, we we've talked about this on prior episodes. Um, people wondered if it was a mistake. I thought maybe it was a mistake. I thought maybe Taker was supposed to kick out, and he just didn't until they showed that graphic on the screen. And I was like, ah, they had this pre-planned. Um, but it was like, incredibly shocking, and I, I wish we had the image. I, I should have asked you to grab it, the, the image of the guy looking into the camera, all, like, shocked uh, that was sitting on the front row. <laughs> I can grab it if you want while we're talking. Ellis Meeb is his name. Um, because he kind of had a little Twitter fame after that. But uh yeah, that that guy kind of exemplified what professional wrestling fans thought after the streak was broken. We're like, what? Like th- this can't be. This has to be a mistake. Very, very shocking moment. Yeah, the thing is, obviously, I remember watching the match and I'm exactly like going because I've obviously grown up with the Undertaker, I've watched him through his entire career and the WrestleMania thing for me is like the biggest thing for him. And thinking about it, even like now, obviously it's a couple of years later, earlier, it's like, did Brock really need that victory? It was a big start already. This is what people obviously say. Yeah. I mean, we, we debated this, you know, I, I think I remember Canada dry calling in and we kind of debated this a little bit on the undertaker high and low episode. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, don't think that Lesnar needed it. Um, I think Taker did it because he felt like it was the right thing to do and would put Brock over more, but I don't think it really did that. Um, I don't think he really needed it, but it, I think it would have been better if the streak had remained intact because that was a huge selling point every year for Mania. And let's be honest, the Undertaker had a diminished role at Mania after that. Because that streak wasn't on the line. That wasn't a selling point. Yep. I Do you remember Paul Heyman talking on, I think it was Inside the Ropes, where he said that the music guy didn't know, the announcers didn't know, there was only a select few who actually knew? Yeah. And apparently it was a day of decision. <laughs> like, going into it, apparently Taker was going to win. Um, mm-hmm. But Vince made a decision literally during the program let's flip it we're going to give it to brock mm-hmm. so and it it did look like people were caught off guard and didn't know um and it took a minute for the music to kick in and everything there was just that state of shock um but like i said when they had that graphic put together that's when i knew that uh yeah. it had been planned and they'd thrown something together at least enough to show a graphic <laughs> definitely so we've got three more obviously to talk about and this is one i actually included and it's, of course, we've talked about Punk, but we can't not talk about the, the infamous pipe bomb. This was the first time I actually knew about, obviously, the wrestling pipe bomb stuff. And what the, the stuff he actually said was absolutely brutal. What do you remember about the pipe bomb? <laughs> I love the pipe bomb promo. I love it. And I think that everybody who has worked a job that they didn't like or worked with someone that they didn't like or for someone they didn't like, had a fantasy about doing a promo like this on them. <laughs> I mean, this was, uh, you know, 
at the time, Punk was almost kind of like a modern day Stone Cold because he was the guy that was like railing against the authority and railing against the status quo. And he cut this, you know, quasi shoot promo where he just went out and blistered everybody. Um, you know, uh, doofus son-in-law and idiot daughter, you know, talking about Triple H and Stephanie, you know, everybody thinks this is going to get better when Vince McMahon dies, but the doofus son-in-law and idiot daughter will take over then, and it's still going to suck just as much. You know, like, he just really, really tore into everybody, tore into John Laurinaitis. I don't remember what he called him, but, like, apparently John Laurinaitis was, like, legitimately heated after that promo. Um, you know, had a shout-out to Colt Cabana. It was the first time I'd ever heard Colt Cabana's name mentioned on, you know, major television, um, which is funny, all things considered, everything we know since then. Uh, pretty sure you mentioned taking the title and going to Ring of Honor. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, everything that you could think of that you're not supposed to say on Monday Night Raw, he said. And it was just, it was amazing to watch. And at the time when I saw it, I was thinking, was that really a shoot? Like, was he supposed to go that far? Um, and it just, it had everybody talking. It was one of those, it was a legitimate shocking moment because nobody knew like what was real and what was kayfabe here. Yeah. And if I remember rightly, did the, the mic get cut off like towards the end? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the microphone got cut off towards the end. Um, where I think he said something else about Vince McMahon dying or something. <laughs> and they, 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 they cut the microphone after that, and he just got up and just shouted into the camera until the, the screen just faded to black. I can just imagine Vince going, any moment now, do it. <laughs> <laughs> they said Vince loved it. Um, oh. You know, Punk talked about If you listen to that first uh, Colt Cabana interview, he, he said that Vince loved it. Um, Triple H wasn't incredibly happy, but, you know, he was like, eh, well, at least I didn't get it as bad as Laurinaitis did. And Laurinaitis was, like, fuming. <laughs> uh, so, next one, obviously, yeah. is one you included, and it's, of course, the Nexus beat down John Cena. Yeah. I actually, this is this is the time when I was, I was watching WWE a lot, so this really surprised me, I will be honest. Yeah, me too. I mean, this completely took me off guard because for for those of you who don't know or don't remember, the very original incarnation of NXT um, replaced the WWE version of ECW. So when that show went off the air, uh, they started doing WWE NXT. And it was a god-awful show. It was like this quasi-reality, quasi-wrestling show where, like, you know, these these uh, wannabe wrestlers, at least that's how they presented them, they were real wrestlers for the most part, um, would get paired with, like, a mentor, you know, like Daniel Bryan. You know, Bryan Danielson got paired with The Miz to be his mentor, which is funny. Um, and they would do these stupid little gimmicky things where it's like, Okay, well, this week, uh, you're going to work a match against, you're going to wrestle this guy. And then uh, later in the show, it'll be like, 
okay, now we're doing a competition where you guys are going to put sandbags on your arms and go run around the ring and like jump a hurdle. And like, it was just stupid. Like it was really stupid shit. And at the end of this, um, you know, Wade Barrett won the competition and he was going to be a WWE superstar and all the others were not because they lost. But at the end of Monday Night Raw, everybody who participated in NXT just all of a sudden came out and surrounded John Cena in the ring and didn't say anything. They just stared at him and then got in the ring and beat the shit out of him. All ganged up on him very viciously. Uh, I remember Danielson spitting on Cena and yelling at him, you are not better than me. You're not better than me. And they went around and tore up ringside and Danielson choked out Justin Roberts with his tie, which he got fired for after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember. Um, it was just crazy. It was like, you didn't expect this. And it was so exciting that this was like something that we just hadn't seen before and was completely out of left field. I was really pumped by this. It was a really shocking moment, but I think it really invigorated, reinvigorated the product a lot at the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think it kind of reinvigorated my interest as well, because it's like you said, we didn't see stuff like this. And obviously we got to see where Barrett obviously was. A, it's made a name obviously in his own right. Brian Danielson's obviously gone on to his good career. Ryback, in a sense, I mean, you can make, we do without what you want, but yeah. Skip Sheffield. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it was a different thingy segment, and I, I completely forgot about the the Brian da- Brian Danielson one. I keep saying Brian Danielson, I don't know why, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, of course they yeah. made him be Daniel Bryan in WWE, but yeah, you know, like he he choked out, he ripped off Justin Roberts' tuxedo and like choked him out with his necktie. <laughs> and apparently they thought that was too brutal, and they fired him after that. And he was gone for about five or six months, and then they brought him back. Was that the Survivor Series 7-on-7? Because I think he was the mystery partner for them. I I believe. I'd have to go back and check. But yeah, he he disappeared for a few months, and then he came back. And I remember I went to Midnight Night Raw um, the week after these guys debuted. Um, the A week later, they, they had Raw here in Kentucky, and I went to it. And that's when they debuted the Nexus t-shirt. And they all came out with the big yellow and black in. Um, it was just really cool. I liked it. I thought it was a good angle. So thank you, Mr. Graham, for correcting me. It was SummerSlam. I do apologize. I was, yep, that's fine. But the thing is, with the next thing, it kind of got buried. They never had that, you know, that big win. They always got like destroyed, buried. I kind of like the CM Punk one for some reason. But then, obviously, they went with the car. So there's... There's a lot to unpack with the Nexus thing, but for me overall, apart from this segment, I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it ended up being disappointing. Um, you know, obviously, they, they all did get buried by Cena, Super Cena at the time. <laughs> the, this was the Super Cena era, where like anybody that went up against John Cena got vanquished pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, this, this kind of raw... The WWE in general had stagnated. It was just all, well, Cena's going to work Randy Orton. Okay, Mm -hmm. now Cena's going to work Edge. Okay, now Cena's going to work Randy Orton again. (laughs) And it's like it just went back and forth like this for years, and it was just 
this was just so out of left field that it really captivated my attention. And um, that's the reason why I wanted to put it on this list. I thought it was incredibly shocking and at the time, incredibly captivating. Of course. So that's now we've got one more left. And when I was, I was putting the list together, this is one I really wanted to put on the list because it gave me a, a big insight to obviously wrestling as a whole. And of course, we're talking about Bash at the Beach 2000. <laughs> we all know obviously what Hulk Hogan was like backstage, but if you've seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode, this is basically backstage politics 101. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, this was 2000s WCW in a nutshell. <laughs> like, there was not anybody, like, really firmly in charge. And the mm-hmm. people that did have power, you know, sporadically throughout the backstage area all had conflict with each other and differing ideologies. And, I mean, this was just, this was ridiculous. And this was shocking. I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, when um, Jarrett laid down for Hogan and then Russo cut that scathing promo, everybody's like, well, what the hell was that? Like, was that supposed to happen? Was that not supposed to happen? And then, you know, we saw all the fallout that came from that. Um, This was just a really bad look. Uh, Very shocking. Last time we saw Hogan in WCW and, uh, one of the things that drove WCW into the ground. I mean, they just, like I said, this exemplified the end stage of WCW's life, in my opinion. But it was incredibly shocking when it first happened. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, I was I was watching it and I'm like, I didn't know what to expect. And then when you just see somebody, I kind of hate it when somebody just lays down because you're like, what the hell? But I feel like the Russo promo for me, it just did not all back. But there's so many reports, obviously, that Hogan had creative control. It was well close with Eric Bischoff. There's so many stuff like that. But again, if for people who want to deep look into this, go back and watch the Dark Side of the Ring. I think it's the new season. That gives yeah. you a full detail and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, this, this is one of those things that's been talked about over and over and over. You can find all kinds of, uh, you know, shoot interviews and podcasts. Jarrett did one on this. Um, you know, of course, Russo, anytime his name has to be mentioned, he has to try to get hits. You know, he put out like a hour long diatribe talking about it. Um, you can find a lot of people talking about this. <laughs> Just look it up. Um, I even found on the Bubba the Love Sponges YouTube page, like right after this episode, he put up a big uh, interview that he did with Hogan, like directly, like the day after. Um, which is kind of interesting to listen to as well. Um, it, uh, yeah, this is just one of those things that's going to be heavily debated and talked about, and you hear differing stories from different people. So I don't know, but it was incredibly shocking at the time. And, um, you know, it was kind of interesting to hear Hogan get on the mic uh, before he left and say, this is the kind of bullshit that's going to ruin this company, brother. You know, for him saying the word shit, is like, <gasps> Hogan said shit on television. Like, that's a big deal. You know, I mean, it's not a big, you hear it on Dynamite every single week now, but, you know, that was a big deal back then, even on pay-per-view. Yeah, it's definitely one of those which really stuck out for me. And as you just mentioned there, there's so many things on it, so you can go back and watch anything on it if you want to learn a bit more about it. But, yeah, guys, that's our show. This has been fun. It's been really shocking. What a shocking episode, Mr. Wakeland. 
<laughs> I think of we're going to have a shockingly high amount of people watch this. I'm sure we will. So next week's show, obviously, we're looking at CM Punk. We've got the Mr. Haney, the salty son of a bitch, and we've got somebody from what the left side who's a good friend of ours, and we're going to be taking a look at Punk's career from hired to fired in AEW, and I come up with that name myself, by the way. We're going to have a salty son of a bitch, and we're going to be talking about a salty son of a bitch. Very fitting, right? <laughs> I think that fits, brother. I like it. Of course. So, what's coming up for the rest of the week? We've obviously got the garage later on. That's immediately following Collision, if I can remember correctly. Yes, the garage, otherwise known as Collision After Dark. We're going to be doing it at our normal time, uh, probably about 10.05, right after Collision goes off the air. I may or may not be awake. It depends. <laughs> but I'll be uh, here regardless. <laughs> of course. And tomorrow, there's the All Life in Wrestling show. They are doing You Just Made the List, part two. So I don't know what they've got planned for that. And yeah, Mr. Isaac, tell me where we can find everything. You can go to effingwrestling.com, go all the way down to the bottom. You can find all of our socials. Um, Effing Wrestling is everywhere. You know, you can find us on uh, Twitch, twitch.tv slash effingwrestling. Find us on Twitter, X, whatever the hell Elon wants to call it this week. Um, Obviously, you know the YouTube because you're right here. You can find us on uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, search for All F and Wrestling, and you can find our feed on there. Magical Wrestling, you can find our feed on Spotify. We're out there, man. ProWrestlingTees.com slash F and Wrestling. You can get all of our T-shirts. And uh, like, this, like this one? Yes, this beautiful, beautiful piece of work. Uh, the Magical Wrestling T-shirt. A collaborative effort from the brain of the F and Expert to the artistic integrity of Mr. Wakelin over here with some editing from Canada Dry. Um, I'm really proud of that one. I'm going to get that one soon and wear it on the program. Of course. So you can head to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash effing wrestling for that one. You can get that shirt right there. You can get the all effing wrestling shirt, which was modeled by a friend of the show, Natalia Markova. Or if you like old school, you can get the Magical Wrestling, which was modeled by our good friend, Dollywood. Speaking of old school, Mr. Isaacs, tell everybody about a certain someone. If you like old school wrestling, and I know you guys do, uh, you could go to prowrestlingtees.com slash Adrian Adonis. Adonis. Get an adorable oh. Adrian Adonis t-shirt who has been on a recent episode of the Vice documentary series, Dark Side of the Ring. Excellent, excellent. As always, it's been a pleasure, Mr. Isaacs. It's been a pleasure as always, my man. I love these historical deep dives with you. It's a, a highlight of my week, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. Of course. So the one final thing is, steers out to the outro. Guys, you know life gets a little difficult, and uh, you've got to make sure that you keep your head on straight. It's very important. Um, you got to watch your nutrition a little bit. That affects your mental health. Go for a walk. Uh, lift some weights, do something as a stress reliever, because we all have things in our life that stress us out. And you've got to overcome it. You've got to find ways to overcome it, whether it's talking to somebody, some kind of physical activity, making modifications to your diet, something about your daily regimen that you need to do. Maybe take some vitamins, that helps. Um, but you've got to make sure that through all the troubles that life throws at you, that you remember to just keep fighting.